We just finished here at Oasis um, a sermon series on Joseph. So if you did not get a chance to, to be here for that, you can check it out on the podcast. But we wrapped that up last week, and um, as I was preparing and wondering what's next for this church, where are we going to go from here, uh, the Lord really just placed it on my heart a, a couple weeks back that we're just going to walk through um, as a family. Is that all right? As a family, what we believe here at Oasis, our core, our core values, we're going to be building the core. <laughs> Catch that? See that? Everybody see that? It's awesome. Planned. Incredible. But we're going to build the core. This isn't for, uh, let me be clear, this isn't for us as a church to get our name out there. You guys know me. If you've come to church here long enough, you know that as this pastor of this church, I'm not about making Oasis's name famous. Right? I'm about making Jesus' name famous. But I think at the same time, the way we make Jesus' name famous is that if our people, you guys, as the church, are strong, are equipped, that your hearts are where they should be with Jesus, that you guys are reaching the city the way you should be for Jesus. And so it's kind of funny. I was working with Joseph. He's amazing. He created this thing. I didn't do any of this. I would never take credit for this because this is way out of my league. Praise God for creative people. Amen. But he was telling me, he was like, hey, listen, you know, core, he was looking it up, and in the Latin, it means heart. Didn't know that. Core, in the Latin, it means heart. But in the Hebrew, it means a, a measurement of a vessel. So we were talking back and forth. I was like, Joseph, I don't get it. Tell me. I don't get it. I'm the pastor. You, you, explain this to me. Just joking. Kind of. Really didn't get it. But then he told me, praise God. Core, heart, vessel being filled up. How we're building the core is basically what we are filling our hearts with. And as a church, we have some statements, we have some beliefs, we have, we have some things on the back there that we believe as a church are going to be pivotal for us to continue to move forward here in this city, continue to take new ground here in this city. But for you guys as followers of Jesus, that's all I'm concerned about, that your guys' core, your heart would be filled up each and every day. Amen? So I, I encourage you, take these these cards, put them in your Bible, put them wherever you have quiet time. You guys should be getting in the Word, having quiet time with Jesus, even if it's five minutes a day. Find time, fight for the time to get alone with Jesus before you enter into this world, because we need it. And so today, we're just going to start with the first one, and, and I'm just going to teach. Is that all right? I'm going to teach today. I'm going to try my best to teach and not preach as much. So I'm going to teach, but if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts 17. We're just going to walk through Scripture, but when we first moved here, when we first uh, really planted and decided to plant this church, the phrase jumped out at me, and, and one day Rachel and I were just sitting there talking, and she was like, well, what do you want to have as, a, as kind of our, our slogan? It's not really our mission statement, but what's our slogan? What do you want this, the, the city to know you for? And I said, Jesus being our hope, this being his city, and this is our home. And so we landed on Jesus, our hope, his city, our home. And that's kind of been our our phrase as we've gone through these months and almost a year now of meeting every week. And Jesus is our hope and this is his city, but we're called to be here as our home. And so we're going to teach on this this morning. And I, and I was reading and studying through Acts about an amazing story of Paul. But, you know, Jesus, our hope, his city, our home. We're a very overrated church with a very underrated message. Can I be honest? It's all about Jesus here at this church. It's not about me and my cool, fancy new shirt. You guys are all like, he's not wearing black. No, check it. It's not about me. It's not about this church's name. It's not about where we meet. It's about Jesus. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, he's our hope. 
He's our hope. He's the only thing that we can put our hope and trust in. I promise you. Some of you are in here, you've put your hope and trust in a lot of things that have failed, that have let you down. I did it. I've done it. I do it often. But we as a church know that Jesus is our hope. We're here. This is his city, and we're going to call it home. And so if you're open up to Acts 17, let me just give some, some context here. Is that all right? Paul, the author of Acts, he's actually the author of a lot of the New Testament. Paul, you know what I love about Paul? He's just like you and me. Paul was a man that actually was hurting, actually some say killing Christians before he came to know Jesus. He was just like you and me. He didn't like Jesus. He wasn't about the church. He was actually fully against it. And then Jesus met him on a road one day. Knocked him off a horse, made him blind for a couple days, and then, man, bam, Paul went to work for Jesus' name. Paul had a past. He had a past, but now his future, when Jesus stepped in, he had a bright future. You all know we have a past, right? Every one of us has a past. Sinners have a past, but thank God that every sinner has a future. Amen? And so Paul was just like us, and Paul started to, to see the world through the lenses of Jesus and his spirit, and started to write letters to people, and started to, to share news, the good news of Jesus with cities, with people, because he wanted this message that he found to be so pure, so good, for the rest of the world to hear it. And so Paul's just like you and me. He's amazing. And so he's writing, and now he, as he began to preach, guess what happened? People didn't like him. People didn't necessarily like him at all. And so Paul had to flee from city to city to city. And so now he's landed in the city of Athens. Athens, that's what we're going to talk about. While he's waiting for his sidekicks, Silas and Timothy. He's waiting in Athens because he had to flee. They stayed there. So he's waiting in this amazing city of Athens. You know, Athens at this time, maybe you don't know this. I did do some research. Athens was like the city of that time. It was amazing. It was an, a, a very smart city intellectually, man, some of the best of the best came out of there. Amazing minds. The Olympics was started in Athens. Praise God for the Olympics. Amazing studying and architecture. Things that came out of Athens was powerful. It was a powerful city. People traveled. You know what kind of when you show up to Chicago? Some of us live here, so we kind of take it for granted. So when I at least go to New York, when I step into New York, downtown, Manhattan, Times Square, I'm like, oh my goodness. It's kind of overwhelming. All the lights and stuff, my... My sensors are just overloaded. But when you step into a city and you're, you're kind of like taken back by your breath because it's so big. It's so amazing. It's so beautiful. That's how Athens was to that time. It was the city. It was the hot place to live. It was everybody getting there. Everybody was trying to learn. Everybody was trying to grow in their intellectual thinking. But Jesus was not proclaimed in that city yet the way it should be. And so Paul's like, mm-mm, nope. Not going to have this. I know the good news, and I know what they need. I, they need the good news. And so Paul shows up. You guys, at your, Acts 17, verse 16. We're just going to walk verse by verse. Is that okay with you, church? I'm going to teach. It's going to be encouraging. Jesus, our hope, his city, our home. Paul was living this out right here. Verse 16 tells us this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was waiting for Silas and Timothy. While he was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Scripture tells us that. He was greatly distressed to see a city full of idols. You know what I love about this is that Paul shows up to Athens. And he doesn't become angry. He doesn't become mad. He doesn't start protesting. He doesn't take a billboard and start walking around that Jesus doesn't love you. That's not who we're going to be as a church. He shows up and he was greatly 
distressed because he saw all these idols there in Athens. And he said, man, this is hurting me. This is hurting my heart. He was so overwhelmed by the fact that, man, all these people are worshiping these false idols. These idols that they have built with their hands. They are worshiping them and they're missing the one true God. He was moved with compassion. He was moved to say, man, I'm distressed. Has any of you ever been distressed over something? Just me. Okay, Jordan and me, we'll just have a message here today. Been distressed. Where you're like, man, I can't do this. I, I don't know what to do. This is really bad. This is really messed up, man. I just need to do something. In a moment of distress, you feel like in your gut, you gotta do something. You gotta make some moves. You gotta do something to, to change it. That's what Paul's talking about here. Very first passage of this, she, Paul goes, I'm distressed over this. I'm torn over this. These people don't know Jesus, and they need to know Jesus. He couldn't handle seeing all the idols. Well, you're like, JP, that was Athens. Chicago doesn't have weird idols set up all over the city. You're right, actually. Maybe none that I've seen, actually. Some people might have them in their house. I have no idea. But we don't have little gold statues or wood statues built all throughout the city. If you've seen them, I don't want to know about them. We don't have that today here. But see, you're missing the, the, the definition of an idol. If you think, oh, well, that was Athens, Jay. You, we don't need to talk about that. That was idols. They were weird. You know what an idol is? It's anything that takes the place of God. Oh, so we got a lot of idols in Chicago. <laughs> I got a lot of idols in my life that, that come up that I see, and I'm like, man, I'm replacing Jesus. It's money. It's fame. It's a relationship. It's a marriage. It's children. It's not getting what you think you'd get. It's not getting the job that you think you should have. Stressing over looking good, feeling good. All those things are idols. When we spend more time putting ourselves to that, and not necessarily all things are bad. Going to school is great. You need to go to school to get a job. It's just how the world works. But necessarily not always bad. But see here in, in Athens, they were replacing their love for Jesus with their love for their idols. And we do it all the time here. We do it all the time. We're replacing our love, our first love, with our idols. And Paul says, I am distressed over this. I just wonder as a church, as a church, this church specifically, Oasis Church, are we distressed over what we see in Chicago? Are we distressed? Are we heartbroken? Are we torn? Are we filled with compassion? That's what that word means, compassion. He was so overwhelmed. He was filled with compassion for these people. Are we, as followers of Jesus, if you call this church home, if you're a guest, it's great to have you. We love you. You're welcome. This is home. But if you call this place home, are you walking out of here? Are you stepping out of this comfortable church setting and walking out into this city and going, oh my goodness, this is breaking my heart. This is breaking my heart. I told you I'm just going to teach. Is this encouraging? You guys are all like, why is he yelling at us? I thought he was going to teach at us. I'm trying. I'm trying just to talk and teach, but it just overwhelms me and I just start preaching. But are we just going to be filled with compassion knowing that Jesus is our hope? Knowing that Jesus loves us. He died for us. He saved us. He came back from the grave for us. So that's the hope we have. In this world, this city desperately needs it. Are we filled with compassion? Are we distressed? Are we distressed that it's moving us, it's changing us, it's transforming us? You know what I, <laughs> I love? 
When people say, man, those church people at Oasis, they're really nice. They're way too nice. They're way too kind. They're way too nice to me. What, I don't, what do they want from me? Nothing. We want nothing. I don't want anything from you. Except come to church to grow. But you know why? It's because I know for me personally, and I know for a lot of our leaders here, I'm moved for compassion to see Jesus do what he promised he would do in your hearts and in your lives and in your families. I want to see Jesus, our hope, be the same hope for you each and every day. The hope that never is shaken, that never is taken. And we moved, just like Paul. Jordan's just going to play the whole time. Is that cool with you guys? Sounds really good. Just makes me sound real spiritual. He's waiting for me to like read the scripture, tell a story, all that stuff. I'm not doing that today. Praise God, I'm teaching. Sounds good, Jordan. Just keep it up, man. Are we moved with compassion? Verse 17, we're moving right along, just teaching here. It says this, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. What does that mean? Paul's moved with compassion. He's distressed over the city. Guess where he goes first? Church. Well, you just said get out to the city. Yes, I did. Guess what Paul did, though? He went to the synagogue. He went to the church. He went to start telling those people and talking with those people saying, hey, listen, I'm moved. There's a lot going on in this city. And let me just say this side note. The people in the synagogue, they knew who Jesus was. They knew who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were. But guess what? They were too afraid to step out into their city. So Paul goes there first. And he starts teaching. And he starts telling them, hey, listen. There's a lot of needs out there. What are we doing? There's a lot of things going on out there that aren't of God. What are we doing here? And he starts to tell them, hey, day after day, he showed up and he just said, hey, church, come on, let's rise up. Let's take some ground. Let's step out into this city and do something great. He didn't start off in the marketplace first. Isn't that interesting? Is that just interesting to me? He started in the synagogue first. He was distressed and he went immediately to the synagogue. You know, I, I get nervous when I hear people say, man, I want to do, do ministry for God apart from the church. That's cool. Like, well, some of that is really cool. I, I, I dig some of that. No, but I want to reach people and grow them and disciple them away from the church. I'm like, that's not biblical. That's not how it works. If you think, like, you're going to go save the world and be an evangelist and do all that stuff and tell people about Jesus, but you're not plugged into a church, you're not getting to church, you're not growing in a church, you're not calling a church family home, there's a little bit of a problem. Just a gut check. If we declare Jesus is our hope, guess what the message that we're preaching here? Jesus. So every week, we show up to church to receive something from Jesus. Amen? How many of you show up every week to receive something from Jesus? Every hand should be up. Praise God. You're awake this morning. How many show up to church every week to receive something from God's presence in this place? Praise God. Paul shows up to the church. He says, hey, Listen. We got some stuff to do, but right now I want to equip us. I want to build us in the church because we got some work to do out there in the marketplace. You need to get to church. You need to be here. You're like, man, I'm moved with compassion. I'm distressed about what I see. The violence. People are always like, the violence in Chicago. It's terrible. Yes, it is terrible. I hate every minute of it. It destroys me every day. I am distressed over it. But if you think that I can just step out in the city if I'm not getting built up in God's presence in God's church and do something, you're crazy. Oh, JP, no, I can go on and do it. No, you can't. Paul knew it. Paul shows us. Paul is a champion of the faith. 
If Paul does it, I think I want to follow after Paul's word. So he shows up. He shows up to the church. He grows in the church. And then it says Paul then moves from the synagogue to the marketplace. Because it says there in verse 17b, it says, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. So Paul goes, okay, church, this is the message. Jesus, our hope. Now it's his city. It's our marketplace. Well, it's our home. No, it's his, he said it's the marketplace. Time to go. Time to step out. And Paul goes out in the marketplace day by day, it says. Day after day, Paul starts walking among the markets, just starts talking to people, starts loving on people, starts telling people, hey, you know Jesus? Hey, it's good to be with you. Man, that's a great design. That's awesome. Man, what are all these? And he's walking through Athens, and as he's walking through Athens, he's seeing more and more idols. He's seeing more and more distress, but Paul doesn't back away. He doesn't shy away. He keeps going in the marketplace. He's built up in the church, and he gets into the marketplace. You guys following me on this? He gets built up in the church, he goes into the marketplace, and he starts to speak to people. Well, what's the marketplace, JP, today? We don't have tents set up with idols everywhere. No, you don't. But you have a Starbucks that you work at. You have a school that you go to. You have a house that you live in with your family. You have a neighborhood that you live in. You have a street that you live on. You have a marketplace. Paul gives us a great example that he's like, hey, listen, start in the church, get plugged in the church, be built in the church, step into your marketplace, people. This is what we believe here. This is the heartbeat of our church, that if Jesus our hope, we should be moved with compassion, we should be a part of his church, we should be growing in his church, and then we should step into the marketplace, into the world. And start to just love on people. Start to share the good news with people. Start to tell them who he is. Our church, let me just say this. Some people don't like that we meet here. I've heard it. They've said, you know, Pastor, you really need to get a school or a church building. Like, do we? Thank you for your advice. We love you. God bless you. Have a great day. No anger, no resentment whatsoever. But they've said this to me. People have said, hey, you sure that's a cool place to meet? Like, it's really cool and hip, but it's not a church. You know what I say to them? The church isn't a building. We've messed this up in America. Church ain't a building. I'm showing up right now. I'm singing praises. I'm sitting with you all. I'm receiving his word. I'm teaching. I'm receiving myself. This is church. You're the church. So I say to them, that's great and all. Church isn't a building. So as a church, Oasis, we're always going to be in the public. We're always going to be in the marketplace. I like meeting here. You know why I like meeting here? Because there's some people in here that hear this message while they're working right now. Oh, I, trust me, there's an office right behind us. He's not there. That's why I can say it. I know he's not here today. <laughs> Cracks his door open sometimes and just listens. Just listens. I don't know what God's doing in his life. I don't know what God's going to do. God's going to do something great in his life. So we as a church, we're always going to meet in a public place. One day we will have a building, praise God. We will have it so we can do ministry upon ministry upon ministry. But when that day comes, we will know what it feels like to be the church outside of a building. This is building the core. It's building the core. We will one day. But that's why we also have our O groups and our prayer time and our Love Chicago concept. Why do we go do Love Chicago? Anybody know? Getting an A in the class. Marketplace. We step out in the marketplace. We start to love people. We pick up trash. I don't like picking up trash, JP. They're just going to be there tomorrow. Yeah, probably. But guess what? People see us. 
People start to ask questions. I was picking up trash with Alex when we were doing it last weekend. And this lady comes out, and she was like, hey, what are you guys doing? I was like, oh, just picking up some trash. She kind of looked at us like, um, this is my house. You don't need to pick up trash. So we're like, no, we're just here picking up trash, just trying to love on some people. She's like, what are you? And I'm like, uh, a church. She's like, what? I was like, a church. She's like, no, like, what group are you guys? What are you a part of? I was like, Alex, answer the question. I was like, we're a church. And she said something to me that just hit me. She's like, wow, that's, that's a change. Yeah, I want to be that change. I want this church to be that change. I want this church to be known in this city as, man, they're just not about showing up on Sundays, singing a lot of good songs, loving each other and walking out. No, we want to be about a church that's every day, day in and out, going in the marketplace and changing and reaching people for Jesus. When she said that to me, man, I was like, we're going to go pick up trash every, every day. If we have a staff one day, guess what we're doing for staff meetings? Going to pick up trash outside. My wife's like, okay, let's talk about this for a minute, JP. She's always talking me off the ledge. Praise God for her. You all better be thankful for my wife. She talks me off the ledge about a lot of things. But you know what? We're called to be the light of the hill. A city on a hill, a light of the world, salt to this earth. We need to learn the art of being salty with people. What? We need to learn the art. Just giving them a little taste of Jesus. Just giving them a little taste of Jesus. Just showing them who Jesus was. Not necessarily by our words, but by our actions, by our love, by our compassion, by our distress over them. This is building our core. This is building who we are. And this world needs Jesus. And so let's just throw a little salt at them. Let's just throw a little bit of Jesus at them at times. Let's be consistent with them at times. How about all the time? Can I say that? Let me just recap that statement, restate that statement. Let's be Jesus all the time to them, consistently, day in and day out, showing them, hey, we're not perfect. No one's perfect in this church. You guys have heard that before. No one will ever be perfect, myself included. But we'll just give them a little taste of who Jesus is, a little bit of taste of Jesus as we walk through our marketplace, as we walk through our day and day out. We're just going to give them a little bit of Jesus so that people can know. People may wonder. People may say, hey, what are you doing? They may hear it. They may say, what's going on? That's exactly what happens to Paul here. We're moving right along. Verse 18. Paul's out there telling people about Jesus, and guess what happens? A little bit of resistance. Oh, Jay, this was a really good message, and now you've got to talk about resistance. Yeah, because that's what the Word talks about. That's what the Word says. If you're doing things for Jesus, you're going to hit some, some bumps. You're going to hit some trials. You're going to hit some things. But take heart, he's overcome it. Amen? So Paul's there in verse 18 as he's going day in and day out through the marketplace. It says this. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. <laughs> they show up and they start debating with him. These are great thinkers, great minds. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Making fun of Paul. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Aragopolis, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Then people were lazy, a.k.a. That's what it's saying. They did nothing except just sit there and listen to all the latest ideas. Laziness. Whole nother sermon. That's all they did. But how, this blew my mind. Paul is 
going day in and day out, doing the things that God called him to do, walking through the marketplace, and he meets resistance. Some people show up to him, some two very specific groups of people, two very opposite groups of people, the Epicureans and the Stoics. I did my lessons, praise God. Two very opposite people, but they show up and they say, what's this babbler talking about? He's preaching Jesus and he's preaching the resurrection. What's he mean? This is, a, this, is a, this is not what we know. This is not what we've heard. This is a misunderstanding. Have you ever said something to someone and they misunderstood what you said? Story of my marriage, praise God. Story of my marriage. I say something to my wife all the time. She's like, what? And I was like, no, I mean this in a good way. She's like, what? No, I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, no, I love you. Like, what? How did this? Because we say stuff sometimes that we don't mean it that way and people take it that way. Anybody else? Just me. Pray for my marriage, please. Sometimes things are said and you hear them one way, but they're not the way that you said them. So Paul's in the streets preaching Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. But resurrection in their language is a word for a Greek goddess. What is her name? Anastasia. Anastasia. So they're preaching. They're hearing a message from Paul preaching about Jesus and a Greek goddess. And they're going, yo, Paul, that's, that's a messed up message. You're confusing us. That's really messed up. It's really messed up. But when you preach power of Jesus, guess what starts to happen? People are like, oh, can you tell us more? That's what happens. They're confused. They start to make fun of them. And guess what they do? Hey, can you come tell us some more of this stuff? We're intrigued. Come sit at our round table of discussions that we all sit here and don't do anything else except just listen and talk. Listen and talk. Man, if I could be alive in that time. So they say, hey, listen, Paul, you're a babbler. He meets resistance. You're going to meet resistance in your life. When we proclaim Jesus is our hope, you're going to meet some resistance. You okay with that? You better be. The word talks about it. The word tells us. But guess what? We have a rock, a firm foundation. We have our hope, and Jesus is our hope. So guess what? Just like Paul met these two people, he said, no, what? I'm not going to be shaken. What if they said to him, yo, babbler, what are you talking about? He's like, nothing. Sorry just walked away. We wouldn't get the rest of the story. We wouldn't see Athens transformed. These two individuals of people are just like Chicago today. Can I be honest with you? The Epicureans, you know what they were all about? They didn't believe in an afterlife, and they were all about live for the moment. Welcome to this year presently. Just live for the moment, bro. Yo, girl, just live for the moment. Do whatever feels good. That's what these people lived off of. The highest form of what they could reach was pleasure. Whatever felt good, just do it. Paul's preaching a message of Jesus and the resurrection. These people show up, call him a babbler, because you know what they lived for? The complete opposite of what Jesus was about. They were like, yo, we're about pleasure. We're about reaching whatever we can get to make us feel good. You know what the Stoics were about? Whatever happens in life happens. Completely opposite people. But they show up together. There's something to be said about that, because there's a wide range of people in Chicago that we're going to reach. There's not just a certain demographic. People asked us all the time when we started this church, did you do a demographic study? I was like, can you tell me what that word means? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not smart. They're like, no, did you do a study? Like, what are you trying to reach? What demographic are you trying to get after? I was like, people? <laughs> what do you mean? They're like, well, no, you got to do a study on some people about who they are, where they're living, their age group, what their socioeconomic. I'm like, so, bro. When did we start this as the church? When did we start doing studies on where to plant a church? Why don't we just plant a church and reach people? Paul sees two different people, two different people that believe two different things, and he doesn't sit there and go, well, you're crazy, you're crazy. He goes, no, I'm moved with compassion. Jesus is my hope. Let me tell you a little bit about this. He starts to teach him. 
He starts to tell them a little more. And guess what they do? Hey, tell us more. Tell us more, please. We're dying to know. They wanted more. So they invited them to the Brain Think Trust tank. Oh, yeah. That place that they invite them to, that's the great minds. They invite Paul, a believer of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, into the place where these great intellects were all at. Because they were intrigued. They may make fun of you. They may say, why do you go to that church that's at Lacuna with that pastor that just yells and screams and tells terrible jokes? Why do you go to that church? It's wasteless. Don't do it. Jesus isn't real. Just will it. Just do it. Just do whatever feels good. You're going to be a lot more happy. I have heard this said to me, and I know some of you have heard it said to you. But if you just remain steadfast, if we just stick to the core and say, no, Jesus is our hope, guess what's going to happen? They're going to make fun of you on Sunday, and then come Monday, they're going to be like, hey, yo, Jay, come here. Come here, come here, come here. Don't, just come here in the corner so nobody sees me. Just come here. Hey, bro, um, my marriage is a mess. I'm like, bro, you just told me you never come to church. You're making fun of us for it, but you want to know what's up right now. Because that's what will happen. When you just start to live day in and day out faithfully to Jesus, no matter what people say, no matter what people do, they're going to go, hey, uh, yeah, I want to talk with you for a second. Can you tell me a little bit more? Because I've tried everything. They may call you over and be like, yo, listen, I am bankrupt. I am in credit card debt over my ears. I have no joy. I have no peace. And I see you walking in here every week with peace. That surpasses all understanding. Tell me more. Let me tell you a little bit. His name's Jesus, and he's our hope. His name is Jesus, and he's our hope. His name is Jesus. He's the son of God. He loves you. He died for you. He raised life again so that we could have an eternal life, a peace, a joy. How many people walk in here and feel something so peaceful that can't be explained? They may make fun of Paul. They may call him a babbler, but guess what? They want more. They want more. I love that. Paul's invited to one of the greatest places, and he starts to tell them, Chicago is no different I want our church to be in the public. I want our church to be in the marketplace. I want our church to stand firm and as you, as the church, saying, I got a message to tell you. I got a message to tell you. And the first message is this, I love you. It should always be the first thing we say to people when they're like, hey, tell me more, bro, because I'm real messed up. Hey, I just want you to know I love you and Jesus loves you. Where did you get that from, JP? Oh, teaching moment. Here we go. Keep moving down. Verse 22, Paul compliments them, then corrects them. Did you catch that? Paul compliments them, then corrects them. Verse 22, I am, my, that wind just blew my Bible. We're in Ephesians, praise God. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Paul was a savage. Paul didn't play games. But you know what Paul did do? He learned the art of being salty, and he learned the art of complimenting people. You know what I found to be in life? That people are more apt to listen to you when they know that you love them. It's not profound. People in the streets are more likely to listen to you when they know that you care. And Paul shows that. Paul compliments them. He says, hey, people in this room, this great room, this great minds, I see that you're very religious. It's not a sarcastic, the way that it's written, it's not sarcastic. I read that sometimes, I'm like, wow, Paul was real sarcastic with them. Stupid me. That's not how it was written in that time. 
Paul's basically giving them a compliment and saying, hey, I see you're very religious. Well done. That's awesome. You guys are great. I see that you're searching for something, basically. He's like, you're searching for a God. You've got 30,000 idols out here. You're still searching for something. You're religious. That's cool. But let me tell you about Jesus. They were intrigued then. Their ears became open. I wonder if Paul just walks into that room and is like, let me tell you about Jesus. They're all like, bro, you got to get out. Wrong invitation. We invited you to the wrong party. Have you ever met that person that shows up to the house and there's some things going on? They're like, hey, Jesus is in the room. And you're like, who are you? What are you, what? Instead of just being the light of the world, walking in with the light, loving on people, just loving them for who they are, just sitting there with them, listening to them talk, telling you what's going on with them, listening to their problems, engaging with them, loving with them, being Jesus to them, and then saying, hey, Everything that's going on with you can be fixed, can be healed, can be restored through Jesus. But we as a church are like, no, I'm going to tell them what's up. I'm going to correct them. I'm going to correct them. Oh, I'm going to get them. Oh, I'm going to zing them with this one. Oh, I'm going to get them. I want to be a church that preaches truth 100%. Never compromise it. You guys ever hear me compromising the word? Come tell me. Better yet, just tell someone else and they'll come tell me. Because I don't want to ever compromise God's words. It's strong. It's powerful. It's convicting. There's stuff in here that I just wish sometimes I could take a marker and just black it out. Like, that's not cool. But I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to do is I'm going to love you. And we're going to love each other. And we're going to love this city. And we're going to make sure that people know that we love them. Before we start correcting them. Before we start telling them what's wrong with them. They already know. Let me just... They already know. They already know what they're doing. Because when you show up being the light of the world and you just start loving them, guess what happens? His Holy Spirit starts to invade people. His Holy Spirit shows up to people and starts to convict them. There's sometimes, there's people sitting there and I'm just talking with them. Next thing you know, they're telling me everything. I'm like, I don't want to know all this. Why are you telling me all this? They're like, I don't know. I just felt like, I just felt this overwhelming presence just to tell you. I'm like, wow, the Spirit of God is real. Conviction is real. But when love is in the place, things start to change. Just making sense. Jesus, our hope, no longer an unknown God. He tells him, you have a God that has an unknown name. And Paul says, that's wrong. This is right. I have a God that has a name, a God that died for you, a God that raised to life again. His name is Jesus. He's our hope. And let me tell you a little about him. And I'm just going to wrap up here. Paul then goes on, verses 24 through 31. Paul speaks and shows the city that God is a creator. He's the giver, he's the savior, and guess what? He'll be the final judge. Paul gives this amazing story of Jesus right here. Right, verse 24 through 31. Let me just read it real quick. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did, not, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offsprings. Therefore, since we are God's offsprings, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stones. He's hitting them where it hurts for them. God's not like your idols. He didn't need to be built by you. 
He's never been built by you. He was here. He was there. He was the great I am. Just period. An image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such, such ignorance. But now, through Jesus, he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul gives the greatest sermon. I pray to God I can preach like that one day. Paul gives the greatest sermon. He compliments them. He corrects them by telling them, hey, listen, you guys got all these idols. You're searching for idol after idol after idol after idol. You're building more and more and more. And at the end of the day, you're all sitting around this table, this think tank going, there's got to be more out there. This isn't helping us. This isn't doing anything for us. There's more out there. What's some more? Let's build another idol. Let's build a bigger idol. Let's come up with a new name. Whatever we can do, let's be smart here. Let's just will it. Let's just feel good. Let's just do it. And Paul goes, stop. Stop. There's a Savior. There's a Savior that died for you. There's a God in heaven. You guys all believe in creation, so you got to believe in creator. You can believe there's a great design, you got to believe in the designer. I know him. I personally know him. I don't have to show up to an idol. I don't have to show up to a statue. I don't have to do any of that. I just get to call upon his name, Jesus. Jesus. And he meets me. And he comes close to me. And he loves me. And he cares for me. And he guides me. And he holds my hand as I walk through this life. As No matter what trials, no matter what persecution came, Paul is preaching a message about a Savior, and he was just persecuted in another city. And he had to flee. That dude has more of a story than we do, I promise you. He had to flee city after city because he was getting persecuted. Ain't nobody up in this room getting persecuted that I know of like that. If you are, we will pray for you. But he says, hey, listen, stop. Jesus, our hope. This is his city. This is your home. Let's change this city. Let's do something for this city. Let's preach this message through and through, through you guys, the great thinkers, the great minds, the people in this room. You can go reach Athens. Paul tells them the greatest message ever. And as I close, I, you know, I want to be like, let's sing some songs. Let's praise God because Athens was restored and saved and it was amazing. And oh, praise God. No. It says that some believed. Others sneered at him. Some believed and followed Paul. Some believed in what he had to say and said, I want Jesus. I want to follow him more. Tell me more about this. Come on. Tell me more. But others sneered at him. And I read that and I go, God, why did you put that in there? That's a really bad close to a message that I'm trying to preach. He's like, hey, dummy. That's how God talks to me. He's like, hey, because <laughs> you know what? If you're going to call this city your home, then you're going to be here for the long haul. I was like, oh, oh, love you too, Jesus. He's like, no, 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 you don't get it, JP. He's like, Paul preached a message, a powerful message. People were saved, people were restored, but others sneered. But you know what? That message of Jesus continued throughout Athens after that. There's two individuals that the scripture says, you guys got to read it, that those two individuals followed Paul and they stayed in Athens. They were never mentioned again in scripture, never again mentioned, but some theologians believe they were the ones to start a great revival in the city of Athens. They started telling more people about it, more people about it. They weren't just like, oh no, we didn't tell everybody about it, not everyone's following us, we should just pack up everything and go home. There's times where sometimes I'm like, man, this is too hard. This church isn't growing the way I thought it was. People aren't being reached the way I thought it was. God, we got to go. We might as well just go back to the suburbs. It would be a lot easier. And he said, Jay, are you in this for the long haul? Keep preaching the message of Jesus. Keep loving people the way I love people. Keep telling them about me. 
And just watch, just watch that as my name gets lifted up, the hope for people, they're going to catch it, they're going to grab it, and they're going to want to be a part of what's going on in this city. So we're going to be a church. Athens was written in the Bible. This, this story of Paul made it throughout history. This is the book, one of the longest standing books. People have tried to fight against this, tell it's false, all that stuff. It has stood the test of time. You know why? Because God's in this book. So if Athens is mentioned in this book, what about Chicago? What about Chicago being in this book one day? While we get to heaven and we see God and he goes, man, you guys were servants in the church in Chicago. You guys led the city for revival. You guys fought for that city in prayer. You loved people through their stuff. You fought for people through their stuff. You didn't give up. You knew the hope that you had and you went into the world, into that city, and you changed it. What if we just did that as a church? That's really hard, JP. I don't know if I like this church. That's okay. you got to come to the resolve of this is what you want to be a part of. This is building our core. But I'm just going to tell you this, and we're going to pray. You know, Jesus preached a lot about being fishermen. <laughs> preached a lot about being a fisherman when he's with his disciples. You know, I, I love fishing. Me and my father grew up fishing a lot. I haven't gone in a while. I wish I could. I love it. It's like my, my time to get away. Every cast that I, I threw out, I didn't get a fish on it every time. I wanted to. As a little kid, I know my dad wanted to kill me every time I cast it. I was like, Dad, nothing's on here, wheeling it in, like yelling. He's like, you're scaring the fish away, son. I'm like, yeah, it's probably true. But you know what Jesus says? Just, just cast it. Just cast it. I'm the one that does the catching. So if you think it's too hard, people aren't going to like me, people aren't going to be with it, people aren't going to be cool with it, our job isn't to be cool with it. Our job is just to throw the net out there. Just cast it. Hey, let me give you a little bit of Jesus here. Let me give you a little bit of Jesus here. Let me give you a little bit of Jesus. It's God's job to save them. It's God's job to catch them. So it takes the pressure off of me, praise God. And guess what? It takes the pressure off of you. What it should do, it should encourage you. It should strengthen you. It should set you on fire to go, you know what? I will go out to that world. I'll tell them about Jesus. I'll tell them how much I love them and how much God loves them. And guess what? God, you do the rest. That's the greatest deal ever. Let's be a church that proclaims the hope of Jesus, amen? Let's be a church that says this is our home. This is our city. We're no longer letting Satan come against us. We're no longer letting the things of this world come against us. This violence, this nonsense, this chaos, it's got to go because Jesus is in the city. This is his home. This is his city, and we are here to be a part of it. You could say amen. Let's be that church. Let's build the core. Let's walk through this. Let's do this together. We're better together. Amen? Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, we're so thankful for your word. Thank you for this powerful message. God, we thank you, God, that you still move the same way you did in Athens, God. God, we pray for revival in this city, Jesus. We pray, God, that revival will begin with us. That, God, you'll do something new in our hearts and in our lives. That you'll restore us. That you'll change us. That you'll heal us. That you'll remove sin and shame and guilt, God. God, as we grow closer to you, may we love our neighbors. May we love the people around us. May we influence our marketplace. God, may we be people of influence, God. Father, as we influence people, we know we're going to come against stuff, God, but we will stand firm, Jesus. We will know that we put our hope and trust in you, God. 
Father, we're not going to be shaken. We're not going to be, be terrified at what may happen. God, we know what's in store for us, and that is eternity with you in heaven, Jesus. So, God, I pray that you put passion, that you put strength, that you put grace in each and every person, God. God, as they live and move, God, each and every day, God, that they will know they have their being in you, that you put them together from the beginning, God, that you got great plans in store for them, that, God, they can be used as your vessels, Jesus. So, Father, fill us today. Fill us with your breath, Father. I pray, God, that our lungs, God, will proclaim your name each and every day, that we will give the pure message of hope of Jesus in this city. God, so we love you, we adore you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Why don't you stand to your feet as we sing this going out this morning?